Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Psalms. Psalm 129. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you know God is good? Hallelujah. He's good all the time. Psalm 129, it's a song of degrees. We're also called a song of ascents. Verse 1, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. <laughs> the plowers plowed upon my back, they made long furrows. The Lord is righteous. He hath cut us under the cords of the wicked. Let them all be confounded and turned back that hate Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetops, which withereth afore it groweth up. Wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. From this psalm today, the Lord has revealed to me something to preach to you, to share with you, and it's simply this title, Called to Persevere. Called to Persevere. Let us pray together. Would you join me? Would you pray with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray according to your word, Lord. We pray according to your Holy Spirit. Let the living word preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer today, Lord Jesus. Open our understanding, Jesus, that we might comprehend the Scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I pray all of this in the majestic, marvelous, and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And if you believe it, would you shout amen? God bless you. Clap your hands one more time unto the Lord. Hallelujah. He's worthy. You may be seated. God bless you. And those of you joining online, again, we thank you for tuning in and joining us. Uh, for the foreseeable future, at least on Wednesday, we'll do the same thing. We'll have a basic service uh, like this, an in-person opportunity with some teaching and ministry. And then, of course, for those of you that are either uncomfortable and or um, are symptomatic, we just ask that you let us know so we can pray for you and pray with you. Um, and then we'll see what happens for this coming weekend. But, amen, as we, as we tackle this obstacle and go through this, thank you for your prayers and understanding as we do our best to balance, uh, again, that command of God's to assemble together. In fact, he said even as you see the day approaching to do so and to balance that, of course, with safety and caution. And then, of course, balancing all that with the fact that God heals all disease. Amen. Psalm 103, it doesn't say some, most, all. It says he heals all disease. The Bible says if you lay hands upon the sick, pray their prayer of faith, they shall recover. Amen. I just, I'm just crazy enough to believe the Bible because God cannot lie. <coughs> Amen. <coughs> Hallelujah. Psalm 129 most likely refers to the destruction of Jerusalem when Babylon had attacked. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah all describe 
similar terminology that the psalmist used in verse 3 about the plowers plowing upon his back, making long furrows. In fact, Jeremiah and Micah specifically use the exact wording. They say, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps. Therefore, this psalm is, is written after uh, the remnant had returned as a song of ascent uh, as they would rejoice going up to Jerusalem and rejoicing that although the enemy had attacked, he did not prevail. Praise God. Despite what the enemy did, God saved a remnant that would return and rebuild the walls. And we know from Nehemiah, 52 days they rebuilt the walls. And they restored true worship to Almighty God. The irrepressible re, uh, resilience of God's people is seen in the lyrics of Psalm 129. Yet the psalm doesn't praise the people, but rather praises God who is worthy of all the praise for delivering them. Amen? Certainly throughout history, Israel has experienced more than her fair share of persecution. Although much of it has come as a result of idolatry, some of it has come simply because she is hated for the one true God whom she represents. Possibly the only other group either equal to or possibly more than would be Christians who suffer persecution. I don't want to bore you with a lot of stats, but I did some research from Forbes.com and found out that with the world watch list, at least one in eight Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. On a January 14th, 2021 report from the Family Research Council, they presented facts that every day 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked and every day 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned and another five are abducted and many of these killed. Suffice, that's per day, by the way. Suffice it to say, God was correct when he inspired Paul to write in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't know if I like that verse or not. I'm just going to be honest with you for a minute. Those are those verses that I'd rather just they not be there because that's another shall. Just like I believe I shall recover, this is another shall. If I live godly in Christ Jesus, I'm going to suffer persecution. And I, what I love, though, about Jesus is he never minced words. When he called his followers to follow him, he didn't paint some picture that was unrealistic. He didn't dangle a carrot in front of them. He told them the plain truth. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. You're going to be persecuted. But blessed are you when all these things happen. But something else is in, in 2 Timothy 3 that the rest of the passage seems to really uh, become relevant to Psalm 129. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But notice the next verse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, somebody say all. All, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Amen. Even though evil men are going to wax worse and worse, even though seducers are going to get worse and worse, even though persecution is going to come, Paul told Timothy, and we are told as well from the scriptures, to endure, to continue in the word of God. Why do we continue in the word of God? Because it's eternal. Amen. Despite difficulties, we continue in the word of God. Why? Because it's profitable. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And we know that he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Thank you, Jesus. So what did the psalmist do in answering the call to persevere? Well, first of all, he addressed the affliction. The first three verses he speaks many times, they've afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say many a time they've afflicted me from my youth, yet they've not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back and they made long furrows. The the persecution, the affliction was so great that the psalmist repeated it. May Israel now say. It was a part of the psalmist and Israel's entire life from my youth, indicating it's been happening for a long time. So intense was the affliction that it felt like long furrows being plowed into their backs. Some scholars believe this may refer to the lashing and the whipping the Israelites as they forced them into slavery. Whatever the symbolism may have meant, the fact is it was painful and brutal. It's okay to address the affliction. It's okay to address what has happened. It's okay to speak that a thing took place in your life. I'm all fine with that, and so is the Bible. But don't get caught up noticing all of the severity of the affliction and not notice the seven most important words at the end of verse 2. Yet have they not prevailed against me. The enemy attacked, but he didn't win. The enemy fought, but he lost. They didn't prevail against me. Hallelujah. Can I tell you that when you're called to persevere, your enemy will never be able to prevail against you. The Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. <laughs> it doesn't say that weapons won't be formed. It just says that when they do get formed against you, they're not going to succeed in their mission. The gun is going to misfire. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. The enemy's going to try. He's going to attack, but he won't succeed. So go ahead and address the affliction. It's all right. It's good to talk about it. It's good to pray about it. It's good to get it off your chest, so to speak. But don't become so enamored with the affliction that you forget that God brought you through victorious. If my testimony was, and I got up to testify today, and everything was, I went through this bad thing, and that bad thing, and this bad thing, and that bad thing, and three more bad things, and two more bad things over here, and another bad thing over here, but I never glorified God in bringing me through, it would seem like I'm more glorifying what I've been through rather than the God who brought me through it. 
And so the psalmist is, is, while he repeats it twice, while he explains how painful it is, he puts seven key words in there. Yet have they not prevailed against me. Hallelujah. Let me say this. You didn't pass through the valley by yourself. God was with you every step of the way. His rod and his staff are still comforting you. God didn't say you would never go through a valley, but he did say you would never go through one alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, come on, every one of us in this room and online have asked God before, where are you? We felt all alone. We felt like God was a million miles away. But if you read your Bible from cover to cover, you'll find time and again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. That's an absolute word. That's one of God's absolute traits. Hallelujah. He never fails or forsakes. He's with us. That means he's with us in our bad days. That means he's with us when we're sick. That means he's with you online when you're quarantining. Come on. He's with us every step of the way. He's with me when I don't feel him. Oh, come on, somebody. He's with me when I don't have a single goosebump going up and down my arm or back. He's still God. He's still good. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, God never said you wouldn't fall either. In fact, he never said you wouldn't sit in darkness either. But Micah 7 and 8, watch what it says. I didn't give it to you there, guys. But it says, uh, uh, when I fall. Actually, the first part of the verse, let me start at the beginning. It says, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall. Somebody say when. It doesn't say if. <laughs> when I fall, I shall arise. Remember shall earlier? Shall recover, shall suffer persecution. Here's another shall for you. I shall. So when I fall, guess what's going to happen? I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, guess what's going to happen? The Lord shall be a light unto me. <laughs> it doesn't say I'm not going to sit in darkness. It doesn't say if, Pastor Trevor. It says when. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And besides, let me, let me explain something to you. This is what the Lord showed me. I, I about come unglued when he showed it to me. I about shouted out of my chair in office. Study, not an office. I have a study, sorry. Ask me what that means after church, I'll tell you. Amen, it's not an office. I about shouted out of my study. Here's why. Begin to think about the description, the symbolism that the, that the psalmist used, the plowing of, of the long furrows in the back. And again, Many scholars think that that indicates the, the possibly the, the whipping of the back. It could just mean symbolism to the painful experience like a, a field being plowed over. But here's what the Lord so, showed to me. If the enemy is plowing furrows on your back, then plant some seeds in your affliction and see what kind of abundant harvest God will give you. The Bible says to bless those that persecute you, to pray for them. Plant some seeds. of. If somebody speaks ill against you, don't return evil for evil. Return good for evil. Plant some seeds in your affliction and see what God's about to do in your life. Mm. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Isaac planted seed in a famine. A famine. <laughs> 
Genesis 26, read it. It was a famine. It was a time of affliction. But he planted seeds, and the Bible said in the same year, God gave him a hundredfold harvest. In the same year, we're in a shift, not a season. Oh, hallelujah. Welcome to God's new normal, where what the enemy meant for good or evil, God turns around for good. Welcome to God's new normal. Well, God multiplies your lunch, feeds a multitude, and sends you home with 12 baskets of leftovers. Come on now. Somebody needs to plant some seeds of faith and hope in your affliction and watch God give you an abundant harvest. That leads me to the second thing the psalmist did. Verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Yes, please address your affliction. Don't candy coat it. Let it be a testimony of where God's brought you from. That's the first step in persevering. But the second step is to acknowledge the Almighty. After you've addressed what the enemy did to afflict you, it's time to acknowledge what God did to deliver you. Satan may have accused you, but God acquitted you. Ah, Society may have wrote you off, but God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. (laughs) And like the song sings that our praise team does, hell lost another one, I am free. Come on now. Is there anyone here in person or online that can testify to the fact that God is good all the time? Has there been anybody in the room or online that could wave your hand, put some clapping hand emojis out there and say, God's been good to me. I've not always been good to myself. I've not always been good to God, but he's always been good to me. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, somebody ought to shout glory. Glory! Hallelujah. You know, even though you're watching online, I dare you to shout in your living room or wherever you're at right now. Go ahead. I'm listening. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on now. Feels good to shout, don't it? My wife was telling me we were, we were watching something the other night, and it was a... Uh, it was on Pure Flix. It was that show about the guy, the true story about the guy that was died in a car accident. Remember that? I can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, he came back to life. God spared his life. Anyway, there was a scene where his wife is frustrated at everything going on medically with her husband, all this. And she pulls up to a drive uh, through, and she just has a screaming fit. <laughs> Pounding the steering wheel and just going nuts. And... Um, <laughs> My wife says, that's a very good thing. And the therapist came out in her. And she's like, Myron, that's a really good thing. I'm, I'm just trying to follow the movie line, you know. But, of course, I do it sometimes, too. That's a good thought to preach. But anyway, so she's like, that's a, that's a good thing to, to just let it out. That's, I can't tell you how therapeutic that is. I tell people all the time that sometimes they just need to do that. Well, when she's saying this, all of a sudden it clicks with me spiritually. You want to know why it feels so good to shout sometimes? Because of all we've been through, of all we've faced, to, So why don't you just take a moment? Does anybody need some Holy Ghost therapy today? Go ahead and shout for a minute. Come on, let it out. Get it all out of your system. 
Acknowledge the Almighty. Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. I don't mind telling you what I've been through. But I'm going to acknowledge the Almighty and tell you that He was with me every step. That He brought me through. The last thing that the psalmist did, the last four verses, verses 5 through 8, he admonishes the accuser. In these final four verses, the psalmist pronounces God's judgment upon those who have unjustly treated Israel. So intense is this judgment that the psalmist tells Israel to refrain from pronouncing blessings on their enemies. This parallels Psalm 1, where the blessed man admonishes the accuser by absolute avoidance of anything and everything associated with the wicked. This type of believer, this type of true worshiper that we see in Psalm 1 and here in the last four verses of Psalm 129 is a worshiper that doesn't accompany the wicked, act like the wicked, and refuses to abide with the wicked. It's a total abstinence of everything evil. Instead, According again to Psalm 1 and according to this passage, the true worshiper delights in and declares God's word, reaping an abundant harvest of his righteousness and blessings. Hallelujah. Furthermore, how can God bless that which is wicked? He won't unless they repent. So the lessons that we learn from Psalm 129 are also seen in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I want to show you those for just a moment. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Everybody point to yourself. You're the earthen vessel. Where's the treasure? In you. When, when you're filled with the Spirit, it's in you. The Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, right? It's in you. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may, uh, may be of God and not of us. In other words, it's all about God. Not, it's not about the vessel. I know we get up and we do our hair, and I know we get dressed and look good and all that, and thank God we do. Praise the Lord. Please you know, practice good hygiene and all those things. However, it's not about the vessel. It's about what's in the vessel. You know what that means? Oh, my Oh, my Lord, I feel it right now. That's why when a, when a prostitute comes in and gets filled, God says, I'm not looking at the outside right now. I'm going to fill the inside first and take care of it. Oh, hallelujah. That's why when the alcoholic comes in, he says, I'm, I'm going to deal with something. I'm going to put a treasure inside. Oh, I'll deal with the outside. I'll take care of that. But, but let me get on the inside first and, and do some... Oh. That's why when he takes a gossip or a liar, he doesn't judge them at that moment. He feels them and heals them and brings them to a place where he can change them. Aren't you thankful for the transforming power of Jesus' name? <laughs> Hallelujah. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not about us. Verse 8, we are troubled on every side. Everywhere we turn, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. 
cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might also be made manifest in our body. Can I say it to you this way? The devil may have knocked you down, but he can't knock you out. Because you have an eternal treasure within you. And besides, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The suffering that you've endured or that you are enduring is so that God's power may be revealed so that others will see that it is God who has delivered you. The treasure that power of God that dwells within the spirit-filled believer. Amen. It's a treasure inside of you to bring glory to God. God fills you up and then pours you out. I'm glad to be a vessel. First, or 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10 does not refer to suffering that unbelievers deal with. It relates to what they go through. Oh, you didn't get that. i got to say it again. This passage in 2 Corinthians doesn't deal with what they've dealt with, but rather what they're going through. Somebody say go through. You see, disciples are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But they are not crushed. They're not driven to despair. They're not forsaken or they're not destroyed. Let me, let me just briefly, as, as, as I'm getting ready to bring this to a close here, let me show you a few things from this passage. Stay with me. Bear with me just a few more minutes. Troubled, but not distressed. What this is saying is that even though you're afflicted, it's not going to crush you. Amen. In this first example, Paul is referring to a wrestler trapped by an opponent's move that no matter where he turns, he can't get out of it. Has anybody ever felt that way? You feel trapped. Mm. That no matter where you are or what you do, Satan is there backing you into a corner. Awake, asleep, work at rest. Satan is tormenting you. Amen? But remember, even though he's afflicted you, even though he's troubling you, he cannot crush you. You got to remember the devil's on a leash. God has him on a leash. Mm. Perplexed but not in despair. This means to suffer embarrassment. Perplexed, that's what it means. This is where a wrestler is puzzled by his opponent's skills and not knowing what to do. Caught off guard. Just when you think you've got Satan figured out, he pulls another trick to perplex you because he's the master deceiver and his specialty is deception. But in these times when it seems that there's no way out, remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Walk in his victory. Walk in his word. Walk in his name. Amen. Satan won't put you in despair persecuted but not forsaken this greek phrase literally is speaking of a runner who's out front being pursued closely by his opponent david had this experience when saul chased him and made him a fugitive before he god made him a king Saul sought him and was very jealous of him. But at one point in David's life, when he was still on the run, when he's in a cave, he writes in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord 
at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He didn't write that when things were going good. He didn't write that when everything was rosy and fine and great. He didn't write that when the crown was on his head. He wrote that when he was on the run as a fugitive afraid for his life. In verse 3, he goes on to say, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Can I tell somebody, you might be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. Glory! And then cast down, but not destroyed. This refers to the Greek wrestler rising to continue to fight even though his opponent has knocked him down. I've never, I've not watched a lot of boxing, but I've seen some where the boxer gets knocked down but he keeps getting back up. I don't remember the fight. I wish I could have found the exact story. I had it written down from years ago, but there was this fight where the guy kept getting back up and he eventually won the fight. And they asked the other guy that lost who had kept, it seemed like he was winning. Had it been won by numbers, he would have won by default because he had done a better fight, but he eventually got knocked out. Anyway, they asked him, they said, uh, they, they had noticed he had said something during the match. They said, what did you say to the other boxer? He said, I told him to stay down because I knew if he got up, I was going to lose. And even though he kept knocking him down, that guy kept getting back up and eventually knocked him out. You see, that's how it is with the enemy. He knocks us down, but we get back up. And he knocks us down, but we get back up. <laughs> Can you imagine waking up at 6 o'clock? I know some of you that you can't imagine that at all, but just bear with me for a minute. You know, if it's nine for you or noon, whatever, just you, you pick the time, but I'm going to say six. Imagine waking up at six thinking that everything's going to be great, and by 6.30, and 30 minutes later, you've lost everything. Having nothing left except your health, and you're about to lose that. That's it. Your wife, but she's telling you to curse God. Wow. And yet, listen to Job's response. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wait, Job, you're supposed to get mad. God's wagered your life away. You're supposed to be angry. You're supposed to backslide and quit serving him faithfully. But when you reread the story of Job, although he had a lot of questions, you'll find he maintained his integrity. Later in his trial, Job said, Behold, I go forward. This is 23, 8 through 10. Behold, I go forward. He's not there. Backward, I can't perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I can't behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. There's another part where Job said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. My Redeemer lives. Oh, hallelujah. God has called us to persevere. You know, i got to be honest with everybody here and online for a minute. You don't want me to lie anyway, right? 
At the end of 2021, God spoke to me clearly. I'm giving you a shift, not a season. It's permanent, not temporary. I'm shouting the victory. I'm praising the Lord. We go off to see family for the holiday, New Year, and come back with COVID. yippee ki Right? So I have to coin. Folks, I've not been in a normal Sunday service yet. Because the first Sunday of the year, I was quarantining. I, I didn't go because I was symptomatic. The second Sunday, last Sunday, I'm home watching, you know, some of you were here. And this Sunday is not really that normal either because we're not having first and second half. We don't have Sunday school and all that. So I haven't been in a normal service yet. Now, there's been a couple of moments where I'm like, God, what are you doing? You told me you're giving us a shift, not a season. Is the shift that we're not going to have normal church anymore? And as I'm asking God this, I'm thinking of normal being like today. It's not your typical first half break, second half. And God says, well, of course you're not going to have normal church anymore. Touche. <laughs> you're pretty smart, God. That's why you're God and I'm not, right? Can I tell you, I don't fully understand it, but it's like I said to you Wednesday night. All of you were online except for a handful of you that were here helping it's like I said Wednesday night, Joshua had never passed that way. Now, he had visited the promised land as a spy, but he had not walked in that anointing yet. This is even new for me. I don't know what's behind the next step. I don't know what God's doing behind the next moment. But it's still a shift, not a season. And we're still going to walk into it because we're called to persevere. Amen? Hallelujah. Today, we're going to also partake of communion. I trust uh, you online have it. And if you've not been able to grab it yet, it's out back. If you want to go grab um, a cup, we're going to do this together right now first. And then I've got my wife and Sister Linda are going to sing. All of you are joining us online. If you can, I know there might be a slight delay, but join us as, as much as possible in sync, and we will take this together. So if everyone would get your communion cup ready. Everybody ready? We've got the bread first. We're going to do that together. We know that on the night, Paul writes, and he says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He took the cup and he passed it. It's, it's interesting to me that God would have Paul write it that way. On the night he was betrayed, he could have said anything else. 
He could have said on the night that he prayed in the garden, on the night that he was crucified, on the night that he died. I mean, he could have said it any other way, but he specifically focuses on betrayal. Kind of like this psalm. It opens by declaring twice, many are the afflictions. I've been through a lot. I've faced it. I've faced it from my youth. I believe God had us had it worded that way because Jesus knew what his mission was all along. He came to die. I don't think him praying, let this cup pass from me, was a prayer to not die. It's my opinion that he was not wanting to experience the betrayal of a loved one and the denial of a Peter and the doubting of a Thomas and all of those running away from him when he's taken captive. And so if our Lord can go through it, we can go through it. Amen? And so I want you to think on that, and I want you to think on the afflictions that you're facing and dealing with as we take it this day. So let's take the bread together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your body was broken for me, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I love you so much. I praise you so much, Lord. If you have the cup, I'd like for you to get that ready right now. Lord, you said this is the cup of the blood of the New Testament. And Lord, I thank you that you've forgiven us for all of our sin, healed us of all our diseases. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you saved our souls. You made a way that you became us so that we could become your righteousness, Lord. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Let's receive the cup together. Hallelujah. I've asked my wife, Sister Linda, to sing an old song. They're coming to do that now. It's called Make Me in Your Image. I, I, I felt this song was appropriate to what was preached today and to the communion that we're taking today because to be made in God's image, we often think of the good things. That he healed people. That he was moved with compassion and loved people. But what if being made in his image is also the bad? Did not Paul say, I don't only want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his sufferings? Amen. I believe it's in the fellowship of his sufferings that the power of his resurrection is revealed. Hallelujah. And so as my wife, Sister Linda, they sing this song today, I want us to close out by worshiping. We're going to leave the online going for a little bit. Amen. So you can worship with us in your living room listening to this song. Amen. But we're just going to close out with prayer today. Amen. If you want to come around the front to pray, if you want to kneel or pray in your your row, your chair, that's fine. But let's take some time today to say, God, make me in your image. Make me like you, God. I want to be more like you. I want to persevere and endure to the end in Jesus' name.